invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always, in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Would you please join with me in prayer? Father, as is always the case, having heard your word, we pause again to pray to you um, because we do not want to take listening to your word lightly. Um, every time you speak to us, you speak treasure to us. You speak to us the things that we need to hear. And so now, as together we reflect upon your word, as we seek to understand what you are saying to us, we again ask, would your Holy Spirit please open our eyes and our minds and our hearts so that we might see Jesus, so that we might be changed by him. Would you please help me to speak so that it would be both faithful to your word and clear so that you would be honored. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a few weeks ago, our family experienced an important event. For the first time ever, our three boys saw the Karate Kid. <laughs> and of course, not the, the remake. I'm talking about the real one, the, the 80s version, where guys had big hair and short shorts where you have that crazy guy says, you know, get him in a body bag, yeah! And of course, most importantly, you have Pat Morita playing Mr. Miyagi. I loved Mr. Miyagi when I first saw this. I still do. I want my own Mr. Miyagi. I mean, think about it. I mean, having this, if you haven't seen it, you have this kid who's come from New Jersey who's now in California, and he just feels like everything is weird. He doesn't understand what he's supposed to be doing. He feels alone and outcast. And in comes this kind, gentle, wise man from Okinawa who also happens to be awesome at karate. I mean, how, how cool would that be? Now, if you think about it, this is actually a really common thing that we see in movies. There's this, this guide figure, right? It happens again and again. So... 
You've got Obi-Wan, you know, teaching the Force to Luke, or Dumbledore teaching magic to Harry Potter, or Gandalf leading, you know, the hobbits to Mordor, or at least part of the way there. You, again and again, you have these, these figures who have lived longer, who understand life better, who know important things that guide those who are a bit confused. Wouldn't it be great to have a Mr. Miyagi or a Gandalf or, or someone like that, not, not to take us through Mordor or to, to teach us the Force, but just to help us with life. I mean, how often do you feel like I feel like? It's just so many times we're making decisions where it's like we're fumbling in the dark and we're not quite sure and we'd like to have like bright neon lights saying, this is what you're supposed to do and we don't. It would be really great to have someone older and wiser who help us be like, like a Jedi except about living in general. I would like my own Mr. Miyagi. Maybe, maybe some of you can join with me in, in desiring that. And the good news is I actually think that what we have here in the letter to the Philippians, in Paul's words, is Paul offering himself as a guide in that very way. It's worth considering who Paul is, the person who is writing this letter, this letter that we're going to be looking at through now to the beginning of June, this letter to the Philippians. He's probably in his mid-50s when he's writing this. And in this last 15 years or so, he has experienced all sorts of things. I mean, his life first was turned upside down by Jesus. But then he has been imprisoned. He has been whipped and beaten so that he almost died. He has been stoned. He has been shipwrecked. He has been cast out by all his peers. This man has suffered like few others have suffered. And you know, when you experience that extent of suffering so frequently, one of two things usually will happen. Either you become embittered and joyless and just a shell of the person you used to be, or there can be a way that suffering kind of pulls away the nonsense and leaves you with a clarity as to what life actually is like. And that's what we see with Paul. We see in this letter, we see someone who is passionate, who, who loves, who has joy, who cares. Someone who is able to see life with clarity in a way that I think we want to have. And that means that what he speaks has some weight to it. You know, um, a few months ago, there's this uh, Bible teacher who's really gifted by the name of Jill Briscoe. She was speaking about the promises of God and she said, I have lived for 82 years, and I want you to know something. It's all true. There's a weight to that. In the same way here, we have Paul sharing someone who has been through a lot, who sees what we don't. And, and this, this letter is one of the most personal letters you have. I mean, he speaks about his life. He speaks about what's going on in his heart. And really, if you wanted to summarize it, you could say Paul is saying to us, as well as to the Philippians, I have lived through suffering. I have seen what is important. And here's what I want you to understand. It's all about Jesus. Life is all about Jesus, who you are, what you should be dreaming for, the things that will give you joy, your relationships. They are all about Jesus. 
And even in this opening, where it's kind of a lot of the beginning parts of the letter, we see that laser-like focus that Paul has. In these verses, we we see Paul saying, your identity is about Jesus. Your community is about Jesus. Prosperity, it's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He says that first about identity. Perhaps you notice at the very beginning, there's like, you know, even the to and from. Think about how the email has that to and from in the subject line. Well, that's kind of how Philippians is written. Many letters are written. But do you notice how even there when he's naming, it has this Christ focus. Paul and Timothy, servants, which literally just is slaves. Slaves of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ who are at Philippi. Even identity here is about Jesus. If you think about it, identity is a really important part. Sense of identity, a really important part of our lives. How you view yourself, who are you, how you view your worth shapes so much of what you do and how you live. I think of a friend of mine I knew of a number of years ago. We haven't kept in touch, but he was someone who I think seems to be in this perpetual crisis of identity. He would throw himself into whatever it was at that moment and kind of lose himself. For a while, he thought he was going to be a pastor, and so he learned Greek, and he was studying hard, and suddenly a relationship happened. And then he got lost in this relationship with someone, and it was unhealthy, and the, but you know, they were engaged, and they broke it off, and then he kind of lost sense of who he was until later on he decides that he was going to be an Orthodox monk, and then he started throwing himself into that, and it just seemed like he never really could understand who he was. So he moved from one thing to another to another, and it was hard for him, of course. And probably few of us have a story quite like that, but my guess is most of us know what it's like to wrestle with the question, who am I? I mean, we especially feel it probably in high school and college, but it doesn't just go away. In moments where we're feeling discontentment, when we feel like we don't quite fit with our lives, we struggle with the question of who I am and even the question of where we find our worth. Now, in our, in our day, as people struggle with identity issues, the most common counsel people are given is that they need to get in touch with themselves, to get in touch with their desires, to know not what everyone else expects of you, but what you really want. I mean, and that's been the counsel for, for years. When I think of another kind of almost Gandalf-like figure, think of The Sound of Music, where, the Maria, where Maria is being told by the abbey, or abbess, I think, would be, climb every mountain. Remember this song? I mean, it's rather high-pitched when she sings it. Climb every mountain, ford every stream, follow every rainbow, when till you find your dream. That's how you find yourself. Find your dream. Find what your heart longs for. But if, if you've really sought to do that, you might have come to realize this is not necessarily that helpful of advice. Because what happens when you follow your desires and then your desires fail you and you realize this isn't what you really wanted? Or what happens when you have two conflicting desires? I mean, here's a common one. I want to do whatever I want and I want to be part of a family. Those two don't work together, right? So which one is you? Or what happens when your desires change? If that's our sense of identity, our desires, we're going to have real problems. 
But Paul here, Paul, this person who has come to see things, to give us counsel, says, let me tell you how to find your identity. Your identity isn't found in looking inside your heart. Your identity is found in Christ Jesus. Again, what does he call himself? We are slaves of Christ. And we're writing to saints who are in Christ. That is who we are. And if you're wondering, he could have swapped those out. Later on, it's clear that he views all Christians as with him slaves of Christ Jesus. And he knows that he himself is a saint. The key is that both of those are relating to your identity that is in Christ. Who are you? If you have trusted in Christ, you are a slave of Christ Jesus. That's who you are. You don't belong to yourself. You don't belong to your desires. We, we confess that monthly, don't we? What is my one comfort in life and death that I am not my own, but I belong to Jesus. And that's who you are. You know, Paul in Ephesians and Colossians says that our calling is to put off the old self that just listened to our own desires and instead put on the new self that is Christ Jesus. And when he's saying that, he's not saying try to fake it and pretend you're someone that you're not. No, he's saying that's who you really are. I mean, this is part of the good news of the gospel. The person you are is not the sum of your desires right now. The person you really are is the person that you're becoming. The person that you more and more will be in Christ. You are a slave of Christ. And where do you find your worth? Paul says, listen to me. You are a saint in Christ Jesus. Have you ever thought of yourself as that, as a saint? I know a lot of times when we speak of saints, we think in terms of them being like the super Christians. Like Paul would be a saint, maybe Mother Teresa But that's not at all how the Bible sees it. The Bible says you could not possibly be any less holy than Paul or Mother Teresa. Why? Because you're in Christ. And in Christ, you are holy. And we spoke about this a few weeks ago. When Jesus came and died for us, he took our guilt and he gave us his righteousness, his holiness. And so in God's sight, because of Christ, we are holy. God smiles at us and says, you are mine. This is where our worth is. We don't ever have to prove ourselves because there's nothing that we could do more than what has already been done for us in Christ. We are saints. If you want to know who you are, don't look within. That's just going to be confusing. It's going to be a labyrinth. You're not going to understand. Look at Jesus. Because our identity is all about Jesus. And Paul goes beyond that and speaks of how community is all about Jesus. Perhaps you were struck when you were reading this passage. It's something that we see again and again in this letter. Just how affectionate Paul is towards the Philippian church. I mean, did you notice this in this this opening Thanksgiving? I thank my God whenever I remember you. Every time I am praying for you, I am praying with joy. He's saying, whenever I think of you, I just smile. And every time I I, I pray for you, I can't help but just start thanking God for you. This, This is a heart of deep affection. This is a heart of a friend to the Philippian church. 
And what is the basis for this friendship? Why are they so close? Well, what's the basis for any friendship? It seems to me that friendship really is a matter of two key ingredients. There needs to be affection. You need to like the other person, right? No one's a friend with someone that they get really annoyed by and hate. But you also need to have something in common. There needs to be some sort of shared pursuit, maybe a shared hobby, or even shared life, but there has to be something shared. You need to have affection and you need to have commonality. And if you're missing either of those, you don't really have a deep friendship. I mean, so if you think of coworkers, coworkers are someone you share something with, but if you don't like them, they're never really gonna be your friends. But there might be other people that you think, oh, those are great people, I really like them, I'd love to get to know them better, but unless you start sharing life together, having something that you're doing together, that friendship is never forged. Our deepest friendships are when those are combined, like those who are in the military where there's this kind of kinship as they're fighting together, or those who are on a team, or even family as as we're sharing life together. It's, It's affection combined with something in common. And Paul here in this letter identifies both of these things with the Philippians, and immediately both of them, he says, are found in Christ Jesus. So when he says that I'm you know, praying for you, making my prayer with joy, why is he joyful? Why is there this connection? Verse three, 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The moment that these people became Christians, they got it. They understood that Paul was on mission and that their calling was to join him and seeking to make Jesus known to the people around them, to to honor Christ. They were serving Christ alongside Paul, and that brought them together. In fact, this this level of partnership went deep. When he says, verse 7, it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace. Most commentators agree that This grace is not just talking about God's grace in general. Paul often speaks of him receiving the grace of suffering for the gospel. That it's actually a gift of God for him to be suffering for Christ Jesus. I think here he is saying, you are partakers with me of this grace of suffering. Because notice where he goes right after. You are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You are sharing with me in this privilege of suffering for Christ Jesus. This connection that is forged is because we have serving and suffering for Christ Jesus together. And yet there's also affection. The next verse, for God is my witness, how I yearn for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. That's a remarkable thing to say if you think about it. He's saying, I I care for you so deeply that I realize that this doesn't just come from me. Jesus is doing such a work in my heart that I am feeling right now his love flowing through me with such depth for you. That's what binds me to you. That's where this affection is coming from. So do you see what he's saying? Because I don't think he's just mentioning this Incidentally, he's he's modeling to the Philippian church and to us how relationships are forged. He's showing us that real community is found in Christ. You know, community is something 
that our culture more and more is quite literally dying for. I, I say that because a recent study said that they have found that the mortality rate of those who identify themselves as lonely is roughly the same as those who are smoking. It's striking. And what's sad is one study said if you looked 30 years ago and you asked people, how many confidants do you have? How many people that you feel like you can really share the important things in your life with? The, av the, the highest response number was three. Do you want to guess what the largest response, the, 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 what people most frequently said more recently? Zero. We are an increasingly lonely culture. We hunger for community. And if you've been a part of our church for a while, you know that's something that really matters to us. We speak a lot about community, about sacrifices that are involved in community. We try to even build it in our calendars with things like community groups. But Paul, as he is counseling us, he's saying, I don't want you to get lost and, and miss what's most important. When you are seeking community, it's not just about making sure that you are willing to confront and you say I statements and you have extra time for each other and that you're trying to befriend. All those things are valuable, but that's not where the heart of community is found. The heart of community is found in Jesus. If you want to grow together, either you're going to have a commonality that excludes so you'll have a commonality that's based on race or ethnicity or economics or something you have in common that's going to move other people away from you or you're going to have in common the one thing that unites all and that is serving Christ Jesus. If you want truly to grow together, it's about your partnership in Christ. And if you want to love each other in a way that real community happens because we know when you start doing the hard work of community, I mean, community is one of those happy words like motherhood and apple pie that everyone agrees with until they start trying to do it. And then they realize how annoying community can be. And Paul says, if you really want the kind of community that you need, it's only going to happen through the self-giving love of Jesus. We grow closer to each other only as we grow closer to Christ. Community is all about Jesus. And then after talking about identity and community, we also see Paul speaking about how our prosperity is also all about Jesus. And by prosperity, we oftentimes when we think of prosperity, we think of, you know, like the Bill Gates or some other story where people just have everything. But I don't think I need to convince you that when we're actually thinking about what real flourishing is, what real joy is, an increase in the amount of stuff does not equal real flourishing or real prosperity. If you could choose between one of two things, either having everything but not being able to love anything, or having only a few things but having a deep love for those things or people, where do you think true joy would reside? It wouldn't be in the first, I don't think. And so do you notice what Paul's prayer is when he's praying for the flourishing of the Philippian church? This is my prayer for you, that your love would abound more and more. That's real prosperity, a prosperity of love, that your heart is overflowing in love. 
And, and he focuses that, that, you're, that it would be a love that has discernment and insight so that you might love, that you might approve what is best. When I, when I think about what that means in just kind of normal terms, I think of like sometimes in the evening when I come home from work and I'm tired and my tendency is just to kind of veg out, checking Twitter on my phone or something useless. And I have kids who are probably wanting to hang out or play a game. And in that moment, I have a choice between loving what is better or doing something dumb. And, and, and the same way in the mornings, maybe you've experienced this, where we wake up and we're already feeling like our, our mind is going with all the emails that we need to check, and we could, if we decided to set aside a time for prayer and reading God's word, or we could go straight to email. And there's a choice there between approving what is best and doing something dumb. And Paul is praying that our hearts would abound more and more with love and depth of insight so that we might approve what is best. But here's what I especially want you to see about this prayer. And let me just say, if you're looking for a way to focus yourself, even this week as we're leading to Easter, this would be a great prayer to pray. But do you notice how he describes what is going on in this prayer? He says, if you do this, if you approve what is excellent, you'll be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus. If you are abounding with love more and more, with depth of insight, approving what is excellent, you are being filled with fruitfulness that comes from righteousness, which is found in Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul is saying, what I'm really praying for you is that you just might be more and more full of Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who abounds in love. Jesus is the one who has discernment and depth of insight. Jesus is the one who approves what is excellent. He is the one who is righteous. I am praying that you would be filled with Jesus. Now there's good news even in right here. We, we long to grow. We long to prosper. We long to, to live well. And Paul says, you don't have to be confused about how to live well. It is right here. Be filled with Jesus. Look to him. Be shaped by him more and more. There's a simplicity that Paul has come to that cuts through the complexity that we think that we see. Do you want to know who you are? Do you want to feel self-worth? Look at Jesus. You are a slave of Christ. You are a saint in Christ. Do you feel lonely? Do you want to be connected? Go to Jesus as you draw closer to him. He will draw you closer to others. Do you want to flourish? Be filled with Jesus and your love will abound. It is all about Jesus. And that means our lives should be about trying to know him more to truly know him, to listen as we are studying his word, to hear Jesus, or even as we're gathered amongst other Christians and as people are trying to encourage and we can hear Jesus speak through that, to listen and to know him. Do you know, I'm not just saying know about Jesus like facts, but do you know Jesus? It means learning to trust Jesus and obey. Obey him, even with those scary parts of our lives that we don't want to surrender control to. 
Because every aspect that is not yet being led by Jesus is not yet where it should be, and we are not yet complete until we do. Are there any parts of you in your life that you have not yet surrendered to Jesus as a slave of Christ who knows that he is your Lord? And more than anything, it means coming to know just how deeply loved you are by Jesus. This is the thing we probably say more than anything else, but it's also the thing that we will never fully understand. I mean, Paul even tells us that. There's this other prayer in Ephesians where he prays that, w- that we might come to have a knowledge that, of, of something that is surpassing all knowledge, that we might know the height, the width, the depth, and the breadth of the love of Christ Jesus. And as we come to know this, it will fill us. Do you know that the one who went to the cross did this for you? That he loves you. You know, we have been kind of witness and been a part of some important promises this morning. And Matt, you know, has promised, and in doing so, he has joined with all of us who are leaders um, to be faithful in performing his role of elder, to try to adorn the gospel with his life, to pursue the peace, the purity, the unity, the edifying of this church. And and if Paul were right here right now and giving a charge to, to not just Matt, but all of us who have made these promises, I think he would say something like this. Here's what this means. You are called first and foremost to take the lead in being changed by Jesus. To really seek to know him. To learn to repent when you see aspects of your life that aren't yet trusted to Christ. To dwell in the knowledge of his love and then to lead the rest of us in seeing Jesus. Not just, your, your, not just the church family, but even your own personal family to help lead all of us together to knowing Jesus. That's what your calling is. And then all of you, who, as a congregation, you have promised both towards other elders in the past and today towards Matt, to give all that honor and encouragement and obedience in the Lord. And again, I imagine if Paul were here, here's what he would say. He would be saying, you know, when you're saying that you're going to honor, here's what you're acknowledging, that you are a partner with him. That you are together in a larger project where you're asking him to help lead you and you yourself are committed to this mission of making Jesus known, of extending his life-changing love. You are promising to be a partner. When you're saying that you're promising to encourage, you're saying that you're going to pray for him. You're going to pray for us. That we ourselves would see Jesus. That we ourselves would be strengthened by him. And when you're saying that you're going to obey, you're saying that you are going to do everything in your power to help us point you to Christ. That when we do things awkwardly or even mistakenly, you will look at us with charity. And in the midst of things, you will constantly be looking to see what Jesus is teaching you through your leaders. So that together we might be a community that are being transformed. Our lives are being changed by the love of Jesus. And as that's happening, we're extending that life-changing love to the world around us. That's, that's what we're promising, to work on that together. And Paul, our guide, says it's, 
it's not as complicated as you think. Yes, life is complicated and it's complex and there's suffering in some ways, but at the heart, don't lose sight. We can get so distracted as elders, we can get distracted by, by you know, like the budget line items and by the, the administration and, and, and all of us in life can get distracted by the sign-ups for Little League and getting our kids doing homework and making sure that our 401k, I mean, there's so many things. Don't lose sight of what really life is about. It's all about Jesus. I'd like to give us a moment just to kind of respond to God. Maybe something here kind of pointed you to something that you need to confess before God. Or it might just be something simpler of saying, I want more and more, Lord, to entrust my life to Christ. But I'd like to give us just some time to pray silently in response to this passage, in response to the Apostle Paul's counsel to us. And then I'll lead us in prayer after that. Father, there's something here about this glorious good news that confronts us. Your desire is to love us into flourishing, whole community. And yet we're resistant. Lord, we confess that oftentimes we respond to you out of fear. We desire to maintain control. We struggle to see who we are in Christ and feel like we need to prove ourselves. Father, we pray that your spirit would make Jesus real to us. Lord, help us to see who we are in Christ. Help us to be the body of Christ as a community. Help us to be more and more full of Christ. Father, forgive us for our sin. And help us to trust in your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, hear the good news of the gospel from 1 John. This is the message we have heard from God and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in God there is no darkness at all. If we walk in the light as God is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Thanks be to God.